Hello and welcome to the third episode of Public Theology for Ash Grove. I am your host, Corbin Henderson, and today we're going to hop back into the series that we started last week on psychology and psychiatry. Last week, we examined Freudianism and psychoanalysis and discovered that it falls more so into the category of philosophy than it does science or medicine. Not only that, but it also presented ideas that directly contradict scripture in a Christian worldview. This is so important because it shows that, a psych- that at psychology's root is a philosophy that is directly opposed to a Christian understanding of man and his problems. Now, if you're hopping in in this episode and you didn't watch last week's episode, I want to give this, this uh, uh, suggestion, if you will, to, to go back and listen to last week's episode because we're going to be pulling quite a bit from those ideas. We talked about Freudianism, we talked about psychoanalysis, and really the ideas of, of it basically saying the, the immoral people, amoral people, ought to be the happiest and healthiest of all people, which is an idea that's directly in contradiction contradiction, excuse me, to biblical ideas. So we're going to be pulling a lot from that. I also want to note this as we begin to get started. These episodes in this series are not going to be completely isolated. These episodes in this series are one long flowing argument that that pull from the other. So you'll be most benefited by keeping up with each episode. You don't have to listen to each episode in the series, but to to get a full cohesive idea of my argument, I, I encourage you to do that. And luckily, there's only been one episode so far, so you don't have a lot to catch up on. So with that said, before we jump into the next part of our argument against psychology and psychiatry, I want to remind you of a few key things. First, I want to remind you of my disclaimer from last week. I am, again, and I've I've said this before, I am in no way denying real problems. If you're listening to this and and you have a struggle with depression or anxiety or things of that nature, I am not denying the, the reality of those issues. I fully affirm those issues. In fact, those issues, worry, anxiety, those have been struggles for me. They've been struggles for people in my family, friends of mine. So I'm in no way denying those problems. In fact, I'm actually a counselor myself, uh, and I do quite a bit of counseling and counseling training. My master's degree that I'm working on right now is in counseling. So I in no way deny problems because problems are a part of what, what I do in ministry and in counseling. I'm in no way denying real problems. Rather, what I am offering is a different and better way to think about those problems. Uh, not only to, to think better about them, but also a different way to categorize them and to describe them and also to rectify them and, and give them a, a better and different solution than what culture has to offer. So your struggles, they are real. But what I want to do is demonstrate that psychology and psychiatry are failing you and that there is a far better option and that offers real permanent solutions to life's toughest problems. I also want to give a new disclaimer, and I haven't given this disclaimer before, um, but I want to give a new disclaimer as we begin this week. I affirm the legitimacy of real biological problems that have effects that appear to fall into the mental illness category. Let me reread that uh, or re-say that because what I really want to get across from the get-go is is kind of the premise that I have for getting into this. And this is very important for you to understand, to understand where I'm coming from. So let me say that again. I affirm the legitimacy of real biological problems that have effects that appear to fall into the mental illness category. And here's what I mean by that. There can be biological causes to issues like anxiety and depression, for example. So here, here's a, a, a real for instance. For example, 
there are some heart conditions that bring on the feeling in your chest of anxiety. Another example would be depression that can be brought on by a dysfunctional thyroid, an autoimmune disease, or, or sometimes even cancer affecting certain parts of the body, such as the brain or, or a thyroid. These are real medical problems with a real biological issue that comes from diseases with a pathology, from infection with bacteria, or a body part or organ that is failing to function prop properly, which as a result have effects that take on the appearance of something that would fall into the mental illness category. But they are not mental illnesses. Rather, they are true biological medical problems that just appear to fall into that category based off of the effects of those problems. So I'm in no way denying true biological issues that appear to fall into the mental illness category. I fully affirm the legitimacy of these issues and the reality that they may require and probably will require medical attention from a physician. This is not what I am pushing back on today, and I want that to be known right from the get-go. I'm not pushing back against this. What I want to push back against today is the errant idea that mental illnesses fall under the category of biological health issues. What I want to argue today is that nearly all mental illnesses fall into the category of either behavior or the metaphysical. What a biblical counselor would label as the inner man a spiritual issue, not an issue of biology. And when I say nearly all, I mean at the very least the vast majority of diagnoses in the DSM-IV, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, the fifth edition of that. Again, I am not saying these problems are not real. What I am saying is they have been miscategorized. They have been interpreted through a wrong, a false worldview. I've done a lot of research for this episode, and the data I'm going to present today is very condemning, very condemning. Also, let me say this. You will notice that I will be discussing the DSM-4 in my argument, and, and you'll also notice that I just said the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual 5. So I'm going to be using quotes that reference the DSM-4, and I want to say this up front kind of to, to set your understanding for this. Even though I'm going to be dealing with the DSM-4, and the DSM-5 is actually the, the most current edition of the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. And by the way, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, just for those who might not know what that is, that is the the book that contains symptoms and diagnoses that psychiatrists and psychologists and even doctors use to diagnose patients with mental illnesses. So I'm going to be addressing the DSM-4, but I want you to know if, if you do a little research on the subject, I'm going to link a couple links that explain this. There's very few differences between the DSM-4 and the DSM-5. In fact, most of the differences between the two are actually just structural, structural or organizational in type. So when you hear me talk about the DSM-4, the DSM-4 and DSM-5 are, are nearly identical, vastly similar, just a few differences that are mostly structural and organizational in nature. So that's, that's where we're headed, just, just to kind of give you that idea as, as I'm talking about this. I don't want you to hear me say DSM-5 in the beginning, and then as I talk about the DSM-4, you'd be like, why would he say the DSM-5 in the beginning, but now he's using an older edition of it to talk about it? Well, they're, they're essentially very, very similar, if not the same thing, just, just have slight structural differences. So know that as we're going into it. So before we actually get into the argument, I want to read for you the passage that we visited last week, which was Psalm 1. 
And I'm reading out of the ESV. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by, by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Keep these words in mind as we continue to work through the argument in this episode and the following episodes. So now, let's begin. As we get into the actual content of this argument, I want you to remember that I have made the case that psychology at its roots is the study of the soul, the metaphysical, not the biological. And I'd like to begin this argument by suggesting that not only is psychology philosophical and even theological in origin, but it is also massively lacking in medical science. And I'm going to begin by presenting this quote to you. This is from Francis Allen, who is uh, the chair of psychiatry at Duke University School of Medicine and and was the chairman of the editorial board of the DSM-IV. Now remember, DSM, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. Francis Allen was on the board, the, the chairman of the board that created and edited this document. So this is the creator of the book that is used by psychologists and psychiatrists to tell them what symptoms, what collection of symptoms people have and how to diagnose them. Very, very prominent man in psychiatry, if not one of the most prominent figures in psychiatry to date. He said this, begin quote, we still do not have a single laboratory test in psychiatry. He goes on to say this, because there's always more variability in the results within the mental disorder category than between it and normal or other mental disorders. None of the promising biological findings has ever qualified as a diagnostic test, end quote. That is to say, in summary, for the thousands of mental illnesses and the DSM-IV not one of them were attached to a pathology that diseases like syphilis, for example, would have. Understand for a moment how vastly different this means psychiatry works as compared to doctors who treat diseases, cancer, or infections. There are tests that can tell you, based on blood work, temperature, pathology, nasal swabs, that reveal actual numbers that are off that point to the body being afflicted or attacked by something. You can examine a disease and see an attacking pathology, microbes, biology. What he is saying is there's none of that in psychiatry. None. There has never been promising biological findings that has ever qualified as a diagnostic test to see if there's actually a real illness or disease afflicting somebody struggling with something that falls into the mental illness category. What this first quote suggests is that psychiatry, which claims to be a medical science, has none of that. The second quote is even more condemning as the DSM-4 could not even find biological evidence that was promising, not even promising evidence. 
So not only does the mental health category lack real biological evidence, but mental health professionals recognize that reality and still and yet parade themselves as working in the field of medicine despite not having any real biological evidence for the field where they are supposed to be treating nor test treating people nor test that can point to biological problems and i'm not saying here that that every psychiatrist is is in on this but what i am saying is that there are psychiatrists who are aware of the the amount of medical deficient information or 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 the lack of of real biological proof they're aware of it and yet they still carry on in their practice as in if they're working in a medical science in the same way that a physician would be. I want us to stop here and consider my last argument. At the roots of psychology and psychiatry is a philosophy that claims way to the cure of souls, a metaphysical pursuit, not a physical or biological pursuit. This is further proving the point my argument today in this episode is further proving the point that these real problems are in the wrong category not only are the roots of not only are the roots philosophical in nature but even the findings of modern evidence prove that what is being studied and treated are not physical biological or even or even remotely in the disease category rather they belong in a different category altogether you may be thinking corbin That is a big claim. We'll have a lot more to back this up, so hang in there. Here's another quote from Francis Allen. He says this, begin quote, The absence of biological tests is a huge disadvantage for psychiatry. It means that all of our diagnoses are now based on subjective judgments that are inherently fallible. And pray to capricious change. It's like having to diagnose pneumonia without having any tests for the viruses or bacteria that cause the various types of lung infection. End quote. This is from the chairman of the editorial board of the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which is, as I said, the manual used by psychiatrists and psychologists to diagnose their patients with mental illnesses that cannot even be proven to be an actual illness. And the standards and and, and the terminology of medical science that deals with diseases with pathology. What this quote tells us is there is a huge, a massive chasm between medical science that diagnoses diseases like pneumonia that spawn from viruses with pathology or bacteria. There's a chasm between that and the philosophy of psychology and psychiatry that calls problems like drug addiction, alcohol addiction, anxiety, and even depression diseases despite having little to no medical or biological proof that those are actual diseases. Again, not denying the legitimacy of problems. I'm saying they're in the wrong category. And what is perhaps the most shocking feature of this quote is the admittance that all of psychiatric diagnoses are based on subjectivity. This means that some of you listening have been diagnosed based on subjective judgments, not medical facts. That is shocking. Next, we will examine another massive piece of evidence from the work of Robert Whitaker. (music) 
in Robert Whitaker's fantastic piece of research in journalism, Anatomy of an Epidemic, a secular book, he examines psychiatry, the creation of psychiatric medicine, and its effectiveness over the years and comes to these conclusions. He states, begin quote, Here's a conundrum. Given the great advance in care, we should expect that the number of disabled mentally ill in the United States on a per capita basis would have declined over the past 50 years. We should also expect that the number of disabled mentally ill on a per capita basis would have declined since the arrival in 1988 of Prozac and other second generation psychiatric drugs. We should have seen a two-step drop in disability rates. Instead, as a psychopharmological pharmacology revolution has unfolded, the number of disabled mentally ill in the United States has skyrocketed, end quote. He goes on to back this up with hard numbers. Whitaker goes on to statistics and saying this, in 1955, one in every 468 Americans were hospitalized due to mental illness, and by 1987, one in every 184 Americans were disabled on SSI or SSDI payments because of mental disabilities. He gives even more statistics. In 1955, there were 50,937 people in state or county mental hospitals for bipolar and depression. And today, and this book was written in 2013, so the numbers likely increased, and today there are over 1,400,000 receiving federal payment because they are disabled by these so-called mental illnesses. The rise of quote-unquote mental illness has only increased with the rise of psychology, psychiatry, and psychiatric drugs. Later, and Whitaker's book, he goes on, goes on to analyze the creation of psychiatric medication juxtaposed against the creation of the first magic bullet pill, Salvarzin, which was created to cure syphilis. Whitaker records the work of genius scientist Paul Ehrlich, who discovered how to fight diseases on the German cell cellular levels. You see, Ehrlich came up with the idea that a toxic chemical that only attacks an invading microbe, which would be uh, attacking diseases or viruses or, or bacterias could be injected into the body that would destroy the microbe. In 1909, after 605 attempts, Ehrlich effectively eradicated the syphilis microbe for the rabbits he was using to test his hypothesis on. He has then, in this moment, effectively discovered how to cure a disease by attacking an invading organism. After that, there was a medical revolution and cures for bacteria and other diseases with pathologies were found and cured in the exact same way. You say, why does this matter, Corbin? Why does this matter for discussion about psychology and psychiatry? For two reasons. One, diseases have a pathology invading microbes, germs, and according to Francis Allen, there is no laboratory test to prove the existence of a single disease in the DSM-4, because supposed mental illnesses are not the result of invading microbes or bacteria. Second, the magic, bills cre magic bullet pills excuse me, created to cure diseases, as outlined in the work of Paul Ehrlich, attack an invading microbe, while psychiatric medication, according to Whitaker's studies, and he goes over this with several of the prominent psychiatric drugs, they do not attack an invading microbe. Rather, they suppress symptoms and nullify pain. He even goes on to explain that most psychiatric medications came from side effects of other medications that, that had desirable effects in soothing the mind or, or eliminating pain and feelings, essentially tranquilizing effects. What I'm getting at here is, 
is that psychiatry, specifically psychiatric medication, as it stands, only attacks symptoms, not the root of the problem. So yes, most who are taking psychiatric medication for something like anxiety can and will make you feel better. But ultimately, it is only suppressing a symptom, not curing the problem. If it was made to cure the problems, it would work like a magic bullet pill and attack an invading organism. But it doesn't because there is no invading organism in the category of mental illness. You may now be wondering if this means that you do not actually have a problem. And let me assure you that if you struggle with issues like depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, and other effects of things like trauma and much more, you are facing a real problem and a real struggle. It's a real problem. This evidence does not deny that. The evidence I have brought forth today does not deny you your friends, or your family members' real problems. What this evidence proves is that these problems have been wrongly categorized into a pseudoscience that holds not that does not even hold water and does not even deserve to be called a science. This point is the point here is not that these problems are not real. The point is that a secular philosophy and worldview has convinced millions. Millions that their problem is something different than it actually is. This exercise and research has shown that these problems, unless biological, are not medically based. This then raises the question, how should we categorize these issues? If we cannot, according to science, categorize these issues as biological medical diseases with a pathology How do we categorize them? This is, of course, the question that we should have after examining this information. What is the root of the problem truly? That's the question. This is a very important question because, as Dr. Dale Johnson, who's over the Association of Biblical Counselors, once said, if we misdiagnose something, we will prescribe the wrong solution. A car problem needs a mechanic. A tear in jeans needs a seamstress. A, A disease, a doctor. An electrical problem, an electrician. The the diagnosis determines the treatment. So if we misdiagnose real struggles like anxiety, like depression, like OCD, like PTSD as mental illnesses, then the treatment will be medical when the cure is not medical because the problem is spiritual, right? A spiritual problem requires a gospel solution. A medical problem requires medicine. So if we say something that is not a medical problem is a medical problem, then we're going to, of course, always just treat the symptoms and never the root of the problem. What then is the cure for real issues such as addiction and worry? I would argue that scripture and the gospel provides the solution for these very real and difficult problems. Now, I'm not just saying that you need to pray more or have more faith to overcome these problems. It's not that simplistic, and I wish it were. What I am saying is Scripture, as a, as a source of divine revelation and absolute truth, has real answers to these real problems. I'd like to point us back to where we started in Psalm 1. The man who is happy, or a better translation of that word might be flourishing, does not associate with the wisdom of the wicked. Rather, he delights and, and meditates on the word of the Lord. What does this tell us? That God's word, not only, not the advice of worldly philosophies, leads to flourishing and happiness. Why mask the pain when it can be dealt with fully in Christ?
and we'll unpack in a later episode just how Christ, the gospel, and the word of God can help in the areas of these problems. For another episode, we'll cover that. But for right now, I've got one more aspect of this argument that I would like to present. present. And, I, and I'll mention it briefly. Essentially, this last bit of information, and I, I wish I had time to, to really unpack it and get into some quotes and some other material, but I'm trying to keep these podcasts at a reasonable time. That way they're easy to digest. But I want to talk for a moment about the rise of the ideology of the medical model of psychiatry and also look for a moment at the consequences of the idea. So again, in Robert Whitaker's book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, he tracks the shift over to the medical model of psychiatry. So let me also back this up with this. There was a point around the, the late 70s and 80s where psychiatry did not give, take claim to being medical. There's a point where it did not claim to be in the medical jurisdiction at all. That was a recent shift in psychiatric history. Before that point, it did not claim to be medical in the sense that your physician or your pediatrician is. There's a point where it shifted over to that. Robert Whitaker tracks in his book the shift and what went on in this shift in the chapter titled Rise of an Ideology. He tracks how in the 1980s and into the 90s, psychiatry was beginning to die. The response of the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, was to begin to shift thinking about mental health, about the mental health category, over to a medical model. This involved some very crooked and shady things. This involved paying psychiatrists two to ten grand a speaking engagement to speak of psychological problems in, ter- in medical terms. It involved training wor- workshops for psychiatrists on how to interview well on TV and discuss their profession in a way that seemed medical. It involved literature written by ghostwriters with influential psychiatrist names on them that were designed and put out by the APA. It involved propaganda-style ads enforcing the idea of the medical model of psychiatry, and it also involved multi-million dollar deals with pharmaceutical companies. What happened? When, when psychiatry shifted to the medical model. Psychiatry was dying, and the APA and other prominent organizations used the media to sway a nation to believe psychiatry was actually a real medical science. When before that point, it was never considered in those terms. But what was the cost? What was the cost of this shift, of, of making the American people buy into the idea that psychiatry is medical. And by the way, as I said, I want to get more into this, but with time permitting, I don't want this to be too long. And really, I'd encourage you to get Whitaker's book and and read it for yourself. You would be shocked at the information he includes on, on where this ideology came from. So what was the cost of this? Whitaker's book contains dozens, and I mean dozens, of testimonials of individuals who were tossed through the system of psychiatric treatment and drugs, constant changes in medication, uh, the difficulties of withdrawals. He records all this, and he has interviews of testimonials. He records chronic illnesses caused by drugs, caused by the drugs used to kill the symptoms of spiritual problems. Really, he records that the fallout of psychiatric medication causing actual chronic illnesses and, and even brain struggles. He even chronicles results 
that go to the extent of mental retardation and ha handicapping of perfectly healthy individuals. Guys, if you have somehow lived a life where you've never been lied to, that just ended. That is all for this episode. Perhaps some of you have, have listened to this episode in the last episode and now are wondering if it's time to try something new to address your real-life struggles. If that is the case, I have linked some information in the show notes that will point you to a local counseling ministry that does understand your problems and the solutions to your problems rightly. Also, I have put citations for the books, podcasts, and websites used in this episode in the show notes. I've included uh, the citation for Robert Whitaker's book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, and I've also included the citation for Francis Allen's book, where I pulled those quotes from. Very, very interesting uh, books, specifically Francis Allen's, as, as he's basically admitted that, that he's turned on and revolted against the system that that in a way he helped create. So I encourage you to look into those and, and to study for yourselves. Also note that because they are uh, unbelievers, they do write from a, a non-Christian worldview. So they do promote in their writings a, a new view, a, a way to change and, and redirect psychiatry in a, in a right way. I would argue that, that the way to redirect it in a right way is, is to go biblical and, and adopt a Christian worldview. So they don't provide the right solution to the problems, but they do a very, very, very good job at pointing out the problems from an insider perspective. So I encourage you to look into those. I've also included two podcast links from a, a, a prominent biblical counselor, Dale Johnson, Dr. Dale Johnson, who is the head of the Association of Biblical Counselors, where he talks about some of this material himself. So I encourage you to go and check those out. Next time we meet, we meet in our podcast, we will be actually talking about a different topic. We're going to take a break for a week from talking about psychology and psychiatry. We're going to talk about a fun subject that has to do with creation and evolution. And we'll look at that and look at kind of a, a theory that's that's rearing its head again. And I would like to, to, to show a, a solid exegetical argument in next week's podcast for why I believe in Genesis chapter one, that the writing there promotes a literal six-day creation of the universe. So we'll talk about that next week on kind of a fun spinoff episode. And then after that, we will be back to talking about psychology and psychiatry for basically the entire first season of this podcast. So again, put the citations and references in the show notes. Check those out. And again, thank you so much for joining me today. In the meantime, I appreciate that you're listening. And until next time, think well. <laughs>